Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Before I read the passage, I just want to remind you that of one of the things I think we've said at different times throughout this year about the Sermon on the Mount. And that is that among many things, I think this passage of Scripture, these three chapters that Matthew has put together, chapter 5, 6 and 7, I think are really in some ways Jesus's grand vision for what it looks like to be human. So I think, you know, in all of these things that Jesus is talking about, he's calling us forth to be fully human. That might sound like a funny thing to say because we all are actually human. But I guess what I mean by that is that I think there is a way that God designed us as people to be. And he's calling us to, to flow in that current of what it is to be the human people that he made us to be and to not perhaps go against the grain of how God made us. And so many of the things that Jesus has been talking about in this passage are really human things like anger and lust and desire and revenge and what we do with our enemies and how we love one another how we practice generosity, how we pray, what we do with our anxiety and what we talked about last week, how we attempt to cease from judging each other and and the world. And so we move on um, today and this is almost what I would say the beginning of a section of what is quite eclectic, seemingly randomly put together, pithy little statements. Um, so we've, I feel like most of the Sermon on the Mount has this cohesive flow and then you get to this sort of one third of the way through chapter seven and then it's like Matthew's tacked on a whole bunch of the sayings of Jesus just randomly at the end, which is fine. And so we're going to be looking at them and they all have great things to say to us, but it's kind of like Matthew's wrapping up his great teaching of Jesus. And so this is the beginning, not of the end, but the beginning of the summary, I think, in some ways of um, Jesus' teaching. So Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 to 12 say this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Very familiar passage, right? Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. I think that they're almost words that possibly most Christians could um, quote if prompted and they're very familiar. So before we dive in, I just want to, I suppose, situate us in that sense of what is it, it, is it talking about when it talks about asking, seeking and knocking. And as I go through these things, I don't want – I'm going to do it really quickly – I don't want this to just be an intellectual exercise for you, but I guess as I'm talking about asking, as I'm talking about seeking, and as I'm talking about knocking, 
I want you to think about what is it in your life that you are asking for? What is it that you are seeking? And how might you be knocking? So I'm going to leave it up to you to actually make it relevant for your own kind of life. So the whole concept of asking, and I looked into each of these Greek words and they didn't really offer anything profound. But anyway, um, ask literally means to want or to need something that you don't have. That word means to beg, crave, desire, call for or require. So to ask, to desire something that you don't yet have. To seek implies that idea of wanting to know or understand or find something that you don't yet know or understand or have found yet. And I think, you know, the finding or the seeking and the finding, when I think about seeking and finding, I often think about my, my mind, I suppose. Like what are, the, what are the mysteries that I'm trying to encounter? What is it I'm trying to learn? What am I seeking that I haven't yet found? What understanding am I longing for that I don't yet know? Like, how, like that kind of thing is where my thinking goes about the stuff that I'm seeking. And the, the knocking thing is like that sense of wanting to be somewhere that you're not. Wanting to be inside of some place that you're currently on the outside of. Because why else would you knock? And it literally means like to knock at the door. Why would you knock at the door of something unless you wanted to go inside, unless you're playing knock and run? And I'm not sure that was a first century Palestinian adventure. So the idea of wanting to be somewhere that you're not. And I think this is really relevant. We are all wanting things that we don't yet have or desiring things that we don't yet have. We're all seeking things that we haven't yet acquired. And I think for many of us, there are places perhaps we wish we were that we aren't there yet. And so I wonder what each of those is for you. I wonder in what areas of your life you might be asking, you might be seeking, and you might be knocking. And as I was preparing to really uh, to preach this afternoon, I've been thinking about this passage for a few weeks and thinking about, oh, what do we talk about? Like, it's, isn't it like, it's not rocket science. It seems pretty self-explanatory, like ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. It almost seems formulaic in the way that Matthew writes it, in the way that it seems Jesus has said it. And so I've been sitting with this passage and just asking God to maybe bring some understanding that might be helpful for each one of us in our lives and what I guess I came up with or what I noticed I suppose the longer I read this passage and the more I sat with it was I was quite intrigued as to the way Matthew has put these five verses together and I feel like the structure of this passage in itself is the message that we can receive. So that's a bit different to maybe how sometimes we approach scripture. So what I want to do actually is spend a little bit of time just looking at the way that Matthew has structured these five verses in order that we might gain something from it that might be a little bit under the surface. So when we look at how Matthew has structured this section, it looks like this. Asking you receive, seeking you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. Like it's a statement given that seems like a formula. 
then he repeats himself and he says, For anyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. So it's like statement, repetition of statement. Then he diverts to talking about God's good character in a seemingly completely unrelated way to the verses that go before it. And then he inserts what has become known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's like the structure of these five verses. Statement, repetition of statement, God is good, golden rule. And it's a bit odd. And the reason why I think it's a bit odd is because if we compare how Luke does the same thing with these same verses, we see this stuff in quite a different context. So in the book of Luke, in Luke 11, we have... Um, a passage on prayer. Now Luke, when he's putting the teachings of Jesus in writing, he inserts most of what we read today within the context of prayer. So he starts with the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. Then he goes to tell the story of the friend who knocks on his friend's door at midnight and wants loaves of bread because some visitors have come. And remember the guy goes, Basically, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm asleep. My children are asleep. But because, not because you're my friend, but because you're so audacious that you knocked on my door at midnight, I'll flip and get up and give you some bread. So he tells you that story. Then he says, so ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And then he does the same thing about God's good character. Don't you know that God is good? If you who are good fathers know how to give your children good gifts... Um, if your son asks for a rock, will you, a bread, will you give him a rock? And if he asks for a fish, will you give him a scorpion? How then um, does your Father in heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's how Luke does this thing. And the golden rule in Luke is actually put in chapter 6 when Luke is writing about the teachings of Jesus to do with enemy love. So you have heard it said, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemies well but don't do that if someone slaps you turn the other cheek if they want your coat give them your cloak as well do unto others as they would have them do unto you and then he goes on to talk about a whole bunch of other enemy love so Luke takes the same information puts it in different contexts splits it up um, which in some ways makes more sense for the words that we've got there but Matthew kind of puts them all together in this five verses of strangeness that seem a little bit discordant but that's what he's done and I I mean I don't know why I don't know Matthew I don't know why he chose to do it but he could have done it the same way as Luke because we've already done the Lord's Prayer and we've already done enemy love earlier in the Sermon on the Mount so if he wanted to say the same things about his these verses he could have put them with those other relevant sections. Instead, he didn't. So he's almost taken this ask, seek and knock outside the context of prayer because we're not talking about prayer. We're just, we've just talked about judging people and the next thing we're going to talk about is the narrow and the wide gates and a tree and its fruit. So it's nowhere connected to prayer in the context of Matthew. And the golden rule isn't connected to enemy love or anything like that. It's put in this ask, seek and knock framework. So it's a little bit odd. So I suppose whenever something in the Bible seems a little bit odd, and there's a lot of things in the Bible that seem a little bit odd. The question you've got to ask yourself is, why? 
Because Matthew wasn't dumb. He's not writing Dear Diary. Today Jesus said this. He's crafting this piece of literature to communicate a message about Christ that he wants us to hear. So there's a reason why he's done this thing. That or he just had a really bad editorial day. You take your pick. But I'd like to lean on the side of maybe he has something to say to us that if we look at something we could understand. So as I've been thinking about this and comparing Matthew and Luke and asking some questions that don't have answers because Matthew can't answer me and Luke can't answer me, this is what I've come up with. Basically just two things I want to share. The first thing is I think Matthew, in doing it like this, taking, it, taking these statements away from prayer, is trying to teach us a posture rather than a formula. I think it's easy for us as humans when we see words put in the context of prayer to attach a formula to what we say to think we'll get what we want, yeah? So he hasn't done that in attaching this with prayer. So I think he's trying to teach us something about the posture of being human, fully human, then he is teaching us a formula for prayer. Now this doesn't mean this doesn't relate to prayer, it just means he's disconnected it from an immediate prayer context. And I think what he's trying to say to us is there's a really good way to posture yourself as a human, to be a human that asks and seeks and knocks. And maybe that's the way we should be fully human. And then Matthew does this thing where he links the idea of asking and seeking and knocking and then in some ways points the fulfilment of this asking and seeking and knocking into two directions. He points it in a direction towards God and his basic point is God is good. But he also points this in the direction of people and he's reminding us and giving us a kingdom ethic. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you and he's almost bringing the idea of mutuality into the concept of asking seeking and knocking so perhaps for Matthew the idea of asking and seeking and knocking isn't just about prayer but it's also about the way we relate to one another as humans maybe to ask seek and knock is to throw things into the domain of God but maybe to ask, seek and knock is to also throw things into the domain of the community around us. And Matthew is challenging us to do both. I want to read you this poem. It's a poem by Padre Gautuma. And I actually can't pronounce the name of this poem because it's written in Irish and I can't even like work, say it. You know, like when you see the Irish language written and letters are put next to each other that don't belong at all together? Anyway, so I can't – Would you, you probably would, wouldn't be able to say it, would you? No, anyway. The meaning of the statement that he says in Irish, it, which is the title of this poem, is this. It is in the shelter of each other that the people live. That's the title of the poem, but it's written in Irish. So imagine a beautiful Irish accent that I don't have. This is the poem. I was sick for nine years and during those nine years 
I grew tired of offers of prayer for healing. Eventually, far too late, I said, please, I cannot handle your prayers. I am too tired to cope and too furious to hope for the things that you say so easily. So, some friends prayed without me. They sent me to a cabin near the sea. They gave me wine and timber for a fire. They gave me silence and space and grieving. I took a walk every day and prayed the rosary and swore. In the evening, I poured a glass of wine and cooked a meal. I watched television and I watched the fire. I slept. I believe that echoes need a certain kind of emptiness in order to be heard. It is in the shelter of each other that the people live. When I read that poem, I realised that what he's getting at in some ways is what Matthew is trying to push us into when he puts ask, seek and knock, not only in the domain of God, but also in the realm of community. Because is it right to be people who ask, seek and knock on heaven's door? Yes, it is. But sometimes the posture of being human is to also ask, seek and knock and allow those around us to provide for what we need. And so we pray, but also so we ask and seek and knock from those who love us in order that we may receive maybe even the blessings of what God has for us. And so when I look at the structure of how Matthew has done this, by taking this away from prayer and doing it like this, I think he's challenging us about the posture of what it looks like for us to be people who are bold and brave and courageous in our prayers, but who are also bold and brave and courageous in our relationships with one another. Bold enough to ask, courageous enough to seek, humble enough to knock. Not only before God, but before others. The second thing that I was thinking about as I was reflecting on this passage was really I was thinking, what does a human life look like that has stopped asking, stopped seeking and stopped knocking? What does it look like as a human when we cease from doing those things? Either towards God or towards people. And so what I, I wonder, I began to wonder and think, what, what's happening in our relationship with God when we stop? And I think when I was reflecting on this, and you might have some other things to add, that when we have stopped to ask and seek and knock in our prayers and in our relationship to God, maybe creeping in to our soul and to our way of being human is this sense of being cynical. 
Maybe that happens because once we did ask and once we did seek and once we did knock and we didn't get what we wanted and the mystery of that is too difficult for us to understand. So instead of sitting with the tension of unanswered prayer, we found it easy to be cynical about the nature of prayer itself. And so we took that road. Maybe we just get bored and apathetic because God just seems to not be answering. Maybe it leads us into places of despair and hopelessness. Or maybe on a more positive note, if you're honest enough with yourself to say, you know what, in my relationship with God, I have stopped asking, knocking and seeking. Maybe that is actually a sign to you that you need to heal. Or maybe there's some more growth to happen in your spiritual life or your soul. Or maybe you need to really read and sit with those words that Matthew writes about the fact that God is good. He is good. The lack of your the lack of answer, the lack of possibility, the lack of things happening that you want is not a sign that God is not good. I don't know what it is. I can't answer that for you. That's the great mystery of life. But God is still good and he is a father and he does love us. I think if we are honest and we would admit that in our prayer life we've stopped asking, seeking and knocking and maybe the answer before you start asking, seeking and knocking again isn't to just go, wow, I've just got to ramp up the requests for healing. Maybe you just need to sit with the fact that it hurts and it's uncomfortable when you've asked God for things and it feels like he hasn't come through. And maybe actually that place is the place to start, to be there and let God heal you before you move on to more asking and more seeking and more knocking. In some ways, when it comes to this bit, I'm way more comfortable with how Luke uh, writes this passage because he does the same thing. But in Matthew, Matthew writes, how much more will you, your Father in heaven give you what you ask for? And Luke writes, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? And so it's almost like, you know, Matthew's almost doing the formula promise, like you ask for something, God will give it to you. But Luke does this tricksy thing with the same passage and he goes, you're asking for a piece of bread and you're asking for a fish and God will give you the Holy Spirit. And you kind of think, oh, well, gee, thanks, God. I actually just wanted fish. But what's the use of the Holy Spirit? But I think what Luke is getting at is that maybe if we really understood what the gift of the Holy Spirit is to us in peace, in love, in joy, in creativity, in energy, in comfort, in sustenance, maybe we would be asking for a whole lot more of the Holy Spirit than we would be asking for a fish or a, or a loaf of bread so I actually like what Luke does with that because he twists the answer and basically he's saying God is always good and he's always giving you stuff he's always pouring out the Holy Spirit to you the Holy Spirit is what you need you might think you need something but I think God knows that the Holy Spirit has everything that you you long for I like what Luke does with it I find it a bit harder with what Matthew does because he makes it seem like just keep asking and you'll get but I've had lots of things in life I've asked for that I haven't yet received. Maybe I just keep asking. Maybe I need to ask a better question. What does it look like 
regarding our relationship with others, when we stop asking and stop seeking and stop knocking. What does that actually look like when a human does that? When a human retreats so far into their own inner self and shuts down from the community of people around them. Like what does it look like to be a person who doesn't live well in community? And then I think about why do we not more readily ask those around us for what, we're, what we need and what we want and what we're knocking for? And I kind of just came up with, I was just basically just thinking about myself so you can see all my um, problems up on the screen. Um, fear. Why, do, why, do, why am I not good at asking for what I need from the people around me? Fear. I'm afraid that I might get rejected. It's maybe easier in my weird logic to not ask for what I want and then not get rejected than to be bold enough to say, I need this, and for someone to say, I'm not giving it to you. So I take the path of not asking. But what does that say about me? That I would live by fear. Fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of grief. So I don't even go there. Well, the other thing I think we can be afraid of when it comes to being open and vulnerable about our needs in community is we're afraid of what people will think about us. If we stand up and say to those who are close to us, I am really lonely or I am really sad or I feel like I'm on the edge of X, Y, Z, you name it. And to fear that our esteem is going to drop in the minds of those around us, that fear of what others will think about us if we actually drop the facade that we show to the world and be honest about our needs that we have inside of us. And so we keep ourselves closed. I wonder how much pride there is in the mix for, for us because we don't want to be seen as weak and needy in front of those around us and so we hold ourselves in. Or perhaps we like to project an image that we're self-sufficient and we're doing all right and to, to do something other than that would be a blow to our pride. Maybe it's a sign of bitterness, bitterness in relationship with other people. And on the positive side, I suppose maybe it's a sign that we need healing. Maybe we have legitimately been hurt or let down by those around us. And when it comes to the relational interplay of asking for what we need, we just need to be healed of the wounds that others have inflicted. Maybe we need to practice forgiveness. Maybe we need to practice renewed trust. Maybe we need a good dose of courage. And I had this picture as I was reading and rereading and sitting with this passage and I was thinking about the notion of asking, seeking and knocking. And the thing that came to me that was most um, deeply like moving was more in, in the idea of knocking because, I mean, when I think about asking and seeking, I think, oh, they're very like, I'll ask for what I need and I seek for what I'm looking for. And, but the idea of knocking, it, like you can't kind of like metaphorically make that up, I don't think. It's a, very, it's a very physical thing. So as I was reading this passage and rereading this passage and thinking, what does a life look like that stops knocking? And I had this picture come to my mind of what it would be like um, you know, we have our dinner table and it's right in front of our glass doors, at, you know, in our 
dining area and we don't always close the blinds and so I can imagine a person walking past would be able to see us all around the messy dinner table and the mess of our house eating dinner and and I wondered what it would look like for someone, even someone we know, to walk into our front yard and to feel lonely and to feel hungry, but to actually not be brave enough to knock on the door and say, could I come and join your dinner table? How sad that picture would be of someone on the outside looking in, experiencing all the loneliness and the hunger of what they might have in their life but being too afraid or too whatever to knock and I and then I suppose it's made me think about where might I be like that in my life that there are places that I might like to go or places that I might like to belong or or something and I'm too afraid to knock on the door and I will forever be someone on the outside looking in wanting what they have but not being willing to join isn't it I felt like that was a really kind of confronting and sad picture but it made me think about when in my life do I do that and what might it look like to be brave? There's no guarantee that if I knocked on the door of your house seeing your dinner table that you would say, sure, come in. You might go, don't come in. (laughs) But a, a friend wouldn't do that, would they? Someone who loves you and who is for you would never do that. They'd get a plate, they'd cut the chicken leg in half, or we'd, be, we'd no, we'd split the lentils. And um, they'd make a place. Of course they'd make a place. So all of this has made me think, like, I wonder what it would look like if we said to others the things we say to God, and we said to God the things we say to others. Like think about your prayers for those of you who are actually really honest with God. Think of the prayers, the cries of the heart we sometimes make to God because he's safe. God, I'm desperately lonely. God, I'm feeling so anxious this week. God, I feel like I've just come to the end of myself. Where are you? What would it look like if we actually said those things to the people around us who love us? Like, family, I am at the end of myself and I don't know where to go next. Friends, I feel really lonely. Like, what would it look like if we were brave enough to say to the people around us the things we cry out in our heart to God? Maybe we would almost have that poem experience where instead of people just saying the prayers they send us away with wine and firewood do you know and then I wonder what it would look like for all the chit chat and texting and you know what's apping that we do with our friends what it would look like to take all of that banter and easy kind of and say that all to God What would it look like for us to do those things in order that in our asking and in our seeking and our knocking, we wouldn't just confine it to prayer, but we would be brave enough to do it in community and that maybe in doing that we might actually find the answers to what we are asking for, what we are seeking 
and the places to which we're knocking. That if we're willing enough to be vulnerable and be fully human in the presence of those who love us, that our answers might be found in the beloved community gifted to us by God and that that would be the answer to our prayer. That's what I've come up with out of Matthew's strange juxtaposition of this passage. So just in finishing, I was thinking about all of us this week and I was thinking how could we act on some of this? And so here are some thoughts for you. Maybe the first thought for many of us is to actually get in touch with what we're asking, what we're seeking for and the doors we're knocking on. Because I actually think, if I'm honest with you, one of my greatest challenges is I can be so out of touch with what I deeply need that I don't even know what to ask for. So actually, it's no good to just say to me, Carolyn, just ask God or just ask your friends. Because if I'm honest, I actually don't even know. Like I can live in a bit of an emotional retard state where I don't really know what I want or need. So my first step would be to actually take a bit of time in silence and in self-reflection to go, what do you want? Because maybe if I could actually name it, then I could start asking for it. So my problem is often even naming the thing. So many of us, if you're in my boat, we can start there. Take some time this week to actually be able to name some of those quite deep stuff that's inside of us. And if you're a number nine on the Enneagram, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, you need some help. Um, Once you're in touch with what you need and what you want, tell God about it, trusting that he's good. That's, the, that's important, that second bit. Trusting in the goodness of God, tell God what you need and what you want. And then my suggestion would be to tell two or three people who you trust and who you know really love you. Tell them what you need. I've said two or three, you can make it four or six depending on how many people you trust and really deeply love you, you might have a massive network. But there's the idea that it's the community, I think, of God's people. It's do unto others as they would have you do unto you, the the ethic of the kingdom people together that can make this happen. If we only tell one person, if you only tell your spouse and your spouse is having a really bad week, they might suck at helping you. That's why two or three people is better odds on maybe someone being able to meet your needs. Because if we only got one person we're safe to tell, that's a lot of burden on one person who actually may not have the capacity or know at all what to do. And I think it's really important to be super clear about what you want. It's not like women, I'll say this, it's not a vague thing like, I'm having a bad day. And you just magically hope your husband, if you're married or someone, will just know what you want, which is a bath and a glass of wine and no children within earshot for half an hour. What you need to be able to do is say, um, (laughs) 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 to be specific and even like to be specific, I need, I've come to realise that I am feeling this and I think I need 
a glass of wine and a bath and half an hour. Do you know, like that is a, like if I said that to Luke, it would be rare for him to go, not giving you any of that. But if I just say I've had a bad day, he's most likely just to go, oh, yeah, I had a bad day too. And then I'm like, well, now it's a competition about whose day was worse, isn't it? And I think as people, we can kind of imagine that people can read our minds and know what we need. Half the time, we don't know what we need. How does the person next to you even have the ability to comprehend what you need? So I have learnt, and I don't do this very well, but sometimes I do, to really just ask for what you need. I'm really lonely and I need to have dinner with a family this week. Can someone invite me around? Like, that's specific. Ask three or four families. I doubt they'll all say no. Do you know, maybe they will, but then just keep going to the next three or four. <laughs> just keep, you know what I mean? Like, being specific about what you need. You might get three dinners and then, and then your problem next week will be, I'm so busy, I just need some space. <laughs> Everyone leave me alone. You might get three dinners. So I feel like it's like learn how to know what you need and then like bring it into community. But be specific. Don't just say I've had a bad weekend. Like I felt really lonely this weekend because I didn't see anyone that I really loved. Next weekend, could we hang out? Like be specific. And then I guess the other side of all of this for us is to actually be the people who do unto others what we would want them to do to us so that when we are lonely and we wish people would embrace us, that we would become people who embrace, that when we're poor and needy and we need someone to, you know, buy us a meal or give us some money, that we be the people who do that, that we be the people of God, that we be the answer to our asking and our seeking and our knocking. And that if we this, if you this week hear longing in the voice of somebody around you, that you might consider what it looks like to do unto them what you wish they would do unto you. That doesn't mean fixing them. It doesn't mean being the complete answer. But it probably does mean something. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your good, good father in heaven Give good, good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything and in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And I might finish by reading that poem again because I feel like it beautifully puts the concept of prayer and the legs of community together in one place. It is in the shelter of each other that the people live. I was sick for nine years and during those nine years, I grew tired of offers of prayer for healing. Eventually, far too late, I said, please, I cannot handle your prayers. I am too tired to cope and too furious to hope for the things that you say so easily. So some friends prayed without me.
They sent me to a cabin near the sea. They gave me wine and timber for a fire. They gave me silence and space and grieving. I took a walk every day and prayed the rosary and swore. In the evening, I poured a glass of wine and cooked a meal. I watched television and I watched the fire. I slept. I believe that echoes need a certain kind of emptiness in order to be heard. It is in the shelter of each other that the people live. And Father God, I pray that you would continue to make us into the kind of Jesus people who ask and who seek and who knock and who keep asking and who keep seeking and who keep knocking in prayer. Would you hold in your hands all our cynicism, all our unanswered questions, all our unanswered prayers, all our frustrations and our raging at the mystery of why? And would you help us heal and would you help us trust that you are good? And Jesus, would you help us to be brave? Would you help us to be fully human and bring ourselves to the community of people around us? And would you help us to ask? And would you help us to seek? And would you help us to knock? And would you help us to become the kind of people who do unto others what we would have them do unto us, who give to others what we long to receive, who go seeking together, who go finding and searching in companionship and who know what it's like to never let someone live on the outside of the place that they're longing to belong. So make us into your people, and this week, Lord Jesus, would you help us to be aware of when we need to be brave enough to ask and to seek and to knock. And we need you. And to be honest, we can't really do this very well without you. So we give you the mess of this passage and all that it brings up in different ones of us. And we say we trust you and we say help us trust you. You are good. Amen. Well, be blessed this week as you go to ask, seek and knock. And if anyone really wants some prayer... Um, ask, seek, knock. I'm here. There's good people all around you. Um, next week's morning church and afternoon church. So see you at either one. And be blessed as you go forth this week. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>